Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Zimmerman with Becker's ASC Review. Thank you for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. This podcast is sponsored by Pacira Biosciences and is part of a series featuring perspectives from three ASC management groups that reflect different business models and geographical presence. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Jamie Heater, VP of Facility Development, Compass Surgical Partners, and Will Holding, Director, Compass Surgical Partners. Jamie and Will, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having us. So let's go ahead and dive right in then. Will, I'm going to throw this first question to you. So can you describe Compass Surgical Partners for our listeners? And you, you know, what's its mission and, and perhaps business model as well? Sure. Um, yeah, Brian, then thanks for having us on as well. So a little background on us. You know, our group, uh, Compass, has has been in this industry for for some time so we have a a deep team goes back decades we've built and managed um, hundreds of surgery centers uh, kind of collectively as a group over the years compass was founded uh, about a decade ago with the intent of creating a private model around asc development management one that could be heavily aligned with with surgeons and really focus on the needs of their practice and actually creating, you know, a vision around every facility that we do with them. I'm pleased to say we've been we've been successful in in, in doing that. So, um, so we have kind of a minority uh, interest model with our partners. We try to put, you know, the big clinical decisions in their hands, uh, and then and then really drive the ship from there. Our focus as a group is on the independent practice of of surgery. Um, we we focus pretty heavily in. The world of musculoskeletal care, orthopedics and spine surgery. That said, we have some wonderful partnerships in multi-specialty surgery centers. And in all of them, we view our centers as a tool to allow surgeons to, to thrive, to have more efficiency in their lives in general, and for some to maintain their independence if it's, if it's what they want to do. And, and uh, so I say that just because it colors the way we think about about our world and about how we we approach partnerships, we think we can be one piece of the puzzle, you know, in, in support of independent medicine. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Will, for, for sort of setting the stage there for, for the rest of this conversation. And then, Jamie, I want to turn to you and just get a sense of, you know, what what role does opioid reduction play at your organization? How important is it? Thank you. It's very important. We want to do our part to address the opioid crisis in this country. And part of that is we reflect upon that with our partners, our anesthesia providers, and we look for different modalities to be able to use less narcotics and less opioids in our patient care plans. And that's working with different types of medications, working with aromatherapy, working with our friends in other, other modalities to try to figure out what's going to help the patient get that same pain relief and not rely on opioids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely important, important part of, of the work you're doing, uh, I'm sure, and the work many are doing. Um, the, the next question I want to ask, then, just to get a sense of the other work that, that's happening uh, at Compass, uh, Will, can you talk about the, the types of initiatives you're undertaking with employers and payers? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's interesting. A lot's changing in the world of healthcare. There's a you know pretty significant shift happening. You know, I mentioned musculoskeletal being a focus. It's happening in other other places as well. And so, and we're probably seeing more of a mindset change with payers and employers in the last five years than 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 perhaps we'd had before. But there's always been innovative strategies out there around bundled payments, 
around direct employer contracts and those things. And, and sort of our approach has been to keep our eye on those things. We're a value provider. And so if we can bring value to our partners by creating networks for them that they wouldn't otherwise have access to, we have we have a high degree of interest in doing that with them. So our approach is flexible, right? We have uh, we like tapping into networks where we align well, whether that's employer direct group, which we do, whether that, you know, direct conversations with employers or whether that's creative conversations with payers. You know, I think we, we sort of are willing to put it all on the table, including, you know, some you know quality incentives or value-based type contracts and surgery centers, which frankly you don't see much of, but I think we're, we're having more conversations with people around those things. And I would expect we see more of that moving forward. So, you know, the old model of we, we go to the payer, we get a fee-for-service contract, uh, it's definitely still in place. Um, and, and that's going to be the majority of what we do. But we will start to see more innovation. My own personal take is these things tend to move a lot slower than people think they will. Um, there's been a lot out there, uh, especially around bundle payments, which is something that is of high degree of interest to, to surgeons that we work with. Some have been very successful in those models, and we participate in a number of programs uh, around bundles. But you know, but they haven't they haven't gotten the, the broad national adoption that I think uh, some thought they they may have. And we've heard a lot of feedback from from our payer partners uh, around around why that's the case and some of the challenges that they face in, in administering those programs. And so, you know, and so our goal is to say, all right, well, what is the value that you that you intended to get, and is there another way to do it? You know, can we come up with different creative contracting approaches to help migrate cases into the right environment? And I think the other part of that is, you know, there's a lot more data now, right? So for things like joint replacement or for spine surgery, you know, 10 years ago, there, there were folks that were doing it successfully in surgery centers, for sure. Um, but they were kind of the ones out front. And now there's, it's becoming much more common. And so there's a lot of data out there that, that payers now can, can use and understand that these things are being done safely. Um, you know, quality and safety is, of, of course, extremely important. Outcomes are important. Um, but I, I think over the next five years, you know, uh, the mindsets are already changing, but they'll change more to the point where they'll realize these things are are the norm. I mean, it is it is it will be common to do these more complex type surgeries uh, in addition to the kind of the bread and butter uh, stuff that's always been done in surgical facilities, um, that that stuff will fit in with that, the rest of the crowd. And so how they approach value-based contracting, I think, may look a little bit different than some of the models that were put out there 10 years ago around around bundle payments. So I digress a bit, but I think we, we think it's all very interesting. And, you know, I think for us, it's just constantly having those conversations with with the payers and figuring out, you know, what works for them and what works for, for our surgeon partners, both. And so we create win-wins and that's, that's kind of the goal of, of our approach. Yeah, no, de- definitely some, some interesting developments there and, and your comments around sort of these more complex procedures, uh, I think brings me directly to, to the next question. So Jamie, you know, across your centers, what, what are the keys to doing more complex outpatient procedures, you know, such as total joint replacement and lumbar fusion? I think first and foremost, it's going to be patient selection. Are they a candidate for outpatient surgery? That's one of the things that we really look at. And that's that's one of our key factors is, are you setting this patient up for the best outcome by offering them the outpatient outpatient procedure capability? Secondly, it's patient education, Um, giving the patients the confidence and helping them understand their role and their surgical experience allows them to have that voice, allows them to know that, yes, I can have this total joint done outpatient. I can go home the same day. I can have a lumbar fusion and still leave my own bed tonight. 
um, being able to have that comfort level of home, because we all know home is the most comfortable place you can be. So I think giving the patient that ability and nothing having a voice and helping them be a partner in their care. I think that's the biggest key for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that patient selection component is so huge. Um, and then I want to move to sort of the the regulatory piece of this. So, um, surgery migration, obviously, we sort of already set the stage here, is, is a hot topic in in the industry today. Um, the 2021 CMS rulings have significantly increased the number of procedures approved to be performed in the ASC and stated the goal to eliminate the inpatient only list over three years, I, I believe with a large percentage of, of muscle skeletal related services eliminated perhaps in one year. So th- my question then is, Will, how is your organization preparing for these changes? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, th- there was already migration, right? And we already starting to see certain codes, you know, in cardiology, joints are there, shoulder replacements, you know, aren't there yet. Spine codes continue to be added to the ASCP schedule. That kind of was, was already on its way. The big kind of swath that was uh, removed from the inpatient only list next year, I think we think is is really underscores a trend that already was already happening. It may speed it up a little bit in terms of adoption. And you know, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, it's, there are a lot of stuff on those lists that you know that, that are not very commonly done in outpatient settings. Uh, the, the 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 clear the clear shift is to put the decision in the hands of the of the clinicians, and and we we agree with that. We if we can employ approaches around, as Jamie says, you know, patient selection. Uh, patient advocacy, pain management protocol, things that I mean, there's been so many advances in those things. You know, it, it, it will allow for things like revision joint replacements and, and other types of cases to be done in centers, you know, in, in one-off cases where between anesthesia, staff, surgeon, and patient, you know, they, they make a collective decision that, that a surgery center is the right environment for something that, you know, that normally wouldn't be considered for that. So, so I think it, it really opens up um, some flexibility, our will around those things, and and we'll we'll empower, just like Jamie said, we'll empower patients, we'll empower surgeons to to be able to start to to just put the patient in the right place, regardless of what the what that procedure is. So, so we, we think that's a we think that's exciting. I haven't actually answered the question. So, you know, in terms of the best thing that we can do uh, to to help facilitate uh, that kind of shift and approach, you know, we think collaboration is really important. You know, we, we work with a lot of surgeons. They're busy. Uh, they're busy people in their business and their practice. And, you know, they, they certainly spend time with their colleagues from time to time learning. But, you know, in terms of how to do these things effectively in a surgery center, you know, we, we have a pretty strong bias that if we can put people together to share best practices, it's going to benefit everybody. And so, uh, you know, surgeons will listen to others, um, you know, if they're, you know, if, if there is credible progress being made in, in other in other pockets. And, and fortunately, we have a network that that allows us to do that. And inevitably, surgeons learn from each other. They always do. They'll pick up things, you know, in terms of process flow, anesthesia, pain management is incredibly important in terms of, you know, employing multimodal pain management uh, or sort of long acting, you know, pain relief that, you know, that really, you know, we'll see, you know, we've seen a lot in hip and knee replacement. I think we'll see it more in, in the spine surgery side, allowing for things to be done, um, you know, safely that, that haven't been done as much in surgery centers in the past. Uh, and every time a surgeon goes and learns that there's a new technique or something different, you know, they're not, not the ones doing it. They bring that back to their partners and they talk about it and, you know, and we start to see progress. And so, 
it's just creating all those conversations and making sure that as much information is changing hands as possible. And for our part, you know, we'll we'll be able to manage the process uh, for them once they kind of determine uh, what the right clinical approach is. Thank you so much, Will. And, and just building on that, you know, really sometimes to prepare for the future, it can sort of be useful to review where you've been. With that in mind, Jamie, how has orthopedic surgery changed in the last five years? I think it's dramatically changed. You know, five years ago, some of these procedures weren't being done at all in the spine. Spine is a good example of that specialty. I think now, you know, patients, surgeons, payers are recognizing the flexibility for outpatient surgery. And I think orthopedics specifically and orthopedic spine, ortho is seeing a, a major jump from inpatient care to outpatient care. And I think that you know, as we've seen that change in our centers and in the industry and in ambulatory surgery is we can do those cases. We can do the same great effective patient care and it's a great option for our patients. I think it's definitely changing. More and more cases are being done outpatient and there's more and more options and the payers are recognizing it. They're adding more and more, you know, codes to those outpatient lists. So it's definitely been a change for sure. Thank you, Jamie. And then, and then looking ahead again, Will, what will be the, the role of the hospital in muscle skeletal care in the future? Oh, gosh. So, full disclosure, we have very strong, great partnerships with a number of health systems, and, and then we have a number of partnerships with, with surgeons uh, as well. And so, you know, we, we, we think about uh, both sides. We, we we're, we're constantly in conversations with, uh, you know, with kind of hospital executives and hearing their 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 uh, opinion on this very question, uh, as well as, as well as the surgeons, and so, you know, I, I think for those that kind of understand where things are headed, and 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 we would agree with this that, you know, I think in the future there, the role's going to be fairly limited. There's a lot of talk and focus on on, on joint replacement, and obviously part of that is it's just a, it's such a high demand procedure. You know, it's one of the more commonly done procedures around the country. Um, and so, you know, that, that's sort of an anchor for, for inpatient care in the past. Uh, and as that, as that, as that starts to migrate out pretty quickly, you know, it leaves kind of a, a big hole in terms of kind of what's left to do from, from a musculoskeletal standpoint, you know, and, and, and I think, I think, you know, we would argue it's appropriate, right? It's appropriate to find value for patients. It's appropriate to find value for employers. You know, this is for, from a societal standpoint, it, it makes sense. Now, from a hospital standpoint, I think the folks that we work with tend to, tend to see the same thing and understand it, and they know that's where it's headed. And so, you know, they're thinking about how they can align, how they can use those type of strategies to to further their own mission, to uh, to meet their mission, provide good care and high value, and, and kind of you know how they retool some of their operations to to be able to do that. So, you know, I mean, I think um, I think the reality is is that orthopedic care. 10, 15 years from now could look a lot like uh, other specialties that have been primarily outpatient for a long time, with the exception of, you know, of critical care, of trauma, of certain types of patients that that really need the hospital environment. That's true of GI. It's, it, it, it's true of ophthalmology. It's true of other specialties. There's always going to be that that sort of type of patient that really needs the hospital environment behind them to be safely cared for. For the majority of the rest of it, they don't. And I think orthopedics looks a lot like that in, in say, 10 years from now. 
definitely that that all sounds cogent to me and it really sounds like what what's what's probably in store for us jamie i want to throw the final question your way here so really want to focus here on the consumers so do you anticipate folks will respond to lower cost high value options that, that are coming absolutely i mean in the face of the COVID 19 pandemic and so many people who are looking at different ways to take care of themselves and their options I think that high value, low cost is going to be a primary focus for a lot of the consumers and a lot of the patients. Patients are researching not only their surgeons, but also their facilities. They're looking for patient outcome rates. They're looking for infection rates. They're looking for, are you accredited? And they're looking to have that at a lower cost, but high value to keep that same high value. So I think absolutely they're, they're looking online, they're researching, they're looking for the websites. Our websites get hit all the time looking for our accreditation standards and our outcomes. And we're able to get all that out to our patients all the time. So absolutely. Yeah. And I would, I would agree um, and add that employers are doing the same thing. I mean, it's, it's been a slow kind of, I mentioned it before, but you know, there's been kind of, you know, slow growth in terms of employers going into uh, looking at alternative alternatives to kind of traditional, you know, commercial insurance plans. And so, you know, when they look at for a large employer, you know, we, you know, we hear folks are, are saying things like, you know, if we have, if we have 5,000 employees, uh, if we're, if we're just talking about musculoskeletal care and they can pull that line item and, and from an inpatient and outpatient care perspective, that's one of the top dollar items, um, is, is musculoskeletal care. And so, um, you know, so for a savvy employer, they're looking at ways to, to reduce that. And, you know, the more they learn, understand about the healthcare environment and things that can be done at high value, high quality, the more interested they are in tapping into different strategies. And lots of people out there, lots of networks that are now trying to, to bring together kind of the facility networks you know, in a different way than your traditional insurance network. So, so I think, I think it gets getting hit from, from both sides. And, and then that dovetails back to the, back to the individual, right? If you're an employee, <laughs> you start to be, you start to think more critically about your your care options because your employer is is having that conversation with you, then you're more likely to go out there and and think about uh, the actual cost of of the thing you're about to go do, you know. And that that trend and others will, you know, will continue to accelerate kind of the consumer driven approach to, uh, you know, to, to specifically and in this case orthopedic care, but to, to everything really. You know, and we want to be positioned to to accommodate for that. Just just like Jamie said, I mean, well, we we want to make sure that those options are always there for people. There's full transparency in terms of what they expect and cost and quality, and you know, make sure we have great surgeons that folks can tap into and you know get get good care. Absolutely, uh, Jamie. Will I really want to thank you for your time and sort of you know giving our listeners a, a snapshot of how your organization is sort of thinking about uh, some of these broader industry trends and just some of the other specifics you shared. I think it'd be really valuable for folks, but thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having us. Excellent. I also want to thank our podcast sponsor, Placera Biosciences. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare and the rest of the series by visiting our podcast page at beckersasc.com.